0: This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. You are listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR Radio 91.7 FM. Meanwhile in Memphis is a program dedicated to conversations that celebrate the organizations, initiatives, and people that are shaping Memphis for the better. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you by New Memphis, a nonprofit whose mission is to develop, activate, and retain the city's most important resource, its people. Your hosts today are me, Anna Thompson, and my colleague, Rebecca Daly. Today, we're getting down and dirty to clean up a massive issue, not only in Memphis, but worldwide, food waste and sustainable food practices.
1: We have invited Janet Boscarino and Leanne Edwards from Clean Memphis into the studio today to share their immense knowledge on this topic and hopefully make this information a little more accessible for us to make change not only at home, but work toward their goal of creating a cleaner Memphis with a 50% reduction in food waste by 2030. This conversation is a continuation of Janet's 2013 TEDx Memphis talk, which we have linked here in our show notes. If you're listening on the radio, you can head to tedx-memphis.com to get the YouTube link for that video. The video is not required watching before this conversation, but it is highly recommended. Janet brings some really interesting and innovative ideas to the table. So we're continuing that conversation today. And we're also bringing Leanne Edwards with us. Leanne
0: is the program manager for Project Green Fork, a program of Clean Memphis. And Janet Boscarino is the co-founder and executive director of Clean Memphis. Clean Memphis was founded in 2008 to foster a cleaner and greener Memphis, and they work to inspire Memphians to be environmental stewards grounded in civic responsibility. We have a packed episode today, so without further ado, join us in welcoming Janet and Leanne to the studio. Welcome, Janet and Leanne. Thank Um, you. We're so excited to have you all here today. Thank you.
2: We're excited to be here.
0: Um, can you start off by sharing a little bit about yourselves and how you got a passion for sustainability?
2: Sure. Um, so um, I had been in business development for about 20 years before I started Clean Memphis in 2008. So we're having our 15 year anniversary this year. We're excited about it.
0: Congratulations,
2: Thank you. Um, and I, I had always had sort of a, a passion for um, sustainability. Just uh, I kind of grew up in a an environment uh, in a rural area where we were, conservation was sort of part of our daily lives. And so um in my business development world though when I was traveling I would go to different cities and it seemed I remember being distinctly in Minneapolis and I was there for a conference and it was just it very intentionally clean, organized, they had recycling, they had, you know, there was just an attention to detail about uh creating a space that was beautiful and maintained and it just really struck me that p- perhaps here in memphis that we could learn from other cities and create a space where everyone could be involved and being very intentional about creating a beautiful healthy clean space and so that was sort of inspiration to gather people that i knew that had similar sort of passions around that and it sort of started off with just or helping people think about doing more cleanup projects and and you know sort of very grassroots and it grew into sort of through time understanding the role of education and outreach and how important was that and uh, through time grown into where we are today so that's kind of how we got started very very grassroots very just people coming together and uh, wanting to make a difference in memphis it's
1: a very memphis start
2: it, <laughs> it is. is a very memphis start right
1: and Leon, what about you? How did you get into to the work that you do? So I've worked as a, a chef for
3: several years, well, about fifteen years, in different industries, from restaurants, healthcare, uh, in the school system as well. And so food and food systems have always been a part of that. Um, in my own home, we you know we eat at home, we eat in restaurants, we eat in all of these locations, and seeing food as relational. But then what happens to it if it's not consumed has always also meant a lot to me. Um, and so now coming on board with Clean Memphis back in November, I get to live that out and have a little bit of um, influence and um, and meaning to that
2: field. She's doing great work. Well, Thank we're you. excited to talk more about it. Yeah.
0: Um, so how did, or when, I guess rather, did each of you know that you could kind of turn sustainability from a hobby or something that you did into like an actual career? Like, I feel like that's the thing that we're always kind of, Curious about when something that's not a traditional, I guess, path that's sure. forwards, like lawyer or you know, right. teacher. I guess in some ways you're all of those hats, though.
2: Well, we we do consider ourselves an education organization, and we have uh, actually our biggest program is our environmental education team. We have three full time certified teachers on staff that do programming in schools around environmental sustainability. So, but in terms of when did I realize that I, you know, that's a tough question. I feel like we started off thinking we need to do something. Okay. Yeah. How can we get engaged? How can we motivate other people to get engaged? And that's sort of the. It was not really about uh, creating an organization, even. It was about just doing something, creating a movement of some sort. And what we found is that we were going to need resources. And when you need resources, then you need an institutional or organization. You yeah. need something to do. Some structure. Some structure, <laughs> right? And so I think when we really hit the idea that education was going to be the key. You know, a lot of the research shows that creating healthy, sustainable communities has to you have to have education, outreach, infrastructure, enforcement. There's like four key things you have to have. And so knowing that education is a really big part of that, that's when we knew that's where our organization needs to go to double down on education and outreach. Knowledge is power. Absolutely. And lack of it is uh, is what you see, like not understanding how you fit into a system and how your actions implement, you know, impact that system uh, can have really positive or negative um, outcomes
1: can you talk a little bit about the need for the work that clean memphis does and especially in a community like memphis that is so connected and so hands-on
2: yeah and you know it's it's funny i think um someone asked me one time about you know something about memphis and i I always think that memphis is a city where if you have an idea and you want to do something the city will rise up to support you it's just very much that way and so when we were you know getting in, on this path of clean Memphis, uh, there were people all along the way who are like, yeah, we, you know, yeah, we want to, we want to help out. We want to be part of what, what's going on. And we all see this as a need. Uh, and I, I think what you see is that healthy, clean communities have, there's so many connections there around health and safety, psychological health. Um, there's also the, you know, sort of looking at our, uh, there's a lot of research that, that show that kids that are exposed to environmental education have, um, you know, better outcomes on uh, their test scores. They are uh, more civically engaged. They are better at problem solving. And so there's just really um, a lot of research and a lot of um, support around having uh, the work that we do uh, and creating a space where, students can learn about their environment they can have agency to impact their environment Uh, we also have an issue obviously with litter and waste we are um, waste in general is a problem across the country across the world Uh, i think on national average we're recycling at about 30 to 35 percent and we're only doing about seven to eight percent here locally so there's just a lot of opportunity Uh, around improving our waste system in general and how that can create positive outcomes economically, socially, and environmentally.
0: Wow. Yeah, I had no... I mean, I guess I knew that there were such strong links, but I don't think I packaged it in my mind in that way so yeah. it's so interesting that it directly impacts so many other things that create yep. healthy communities
2: absolutely there's a job creation component to it and i, I think you know we there's some um, conversation about linear economy versus circular which is that take you know we extract natural resources we make things and then we use them and toss them and that's sort of historically where we've been and the trend across the globe and, and even more in the u.s now is to be more circular where We're creating products that are meant to last, Um, and so we're avoiding landfill. Where you know, when you landfill something, not only are you losing that product, you're also losing all of the labor and energy and natural resources that were went into making it. So the idea now is to create something more circular. So you reuse something, you remanufacture, you refurbish it, or you recycle it, and keep it from a landfill.
0: So that was actually a great segue because I was curious about what a circular um, economy is. I hadn't yeah. really
2: heard that term before. Yeah. Maybe I'm just kind of outside of those circles. No, I don't think so. I think it's it's a growing trend, and it's 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 based on um, the the idea of getting to zero waste. And so you have cities around the country, and Europe is really leading the area, and according to cir- you know circular economy and zero waste. But in order to get to zero waste, you have to participate in a circular economy, and that means that materials are meant to stay in the system longer and not meant to be landfilled. And it really starts at design. Things are designed to uh, be reused, remanufactured, recycled, and not something that has toxicity in it or, you know, can't be. It's not intended to landfill. And so it has to start at that design phase. And I think we're seeing some of that even here locally. One of our partners was Binghampton Development Corporation, and they're taking styrofoam and they have a dehydrator and they dehydrate the styrofoam and it makes like a, crown molding, base molding, picture frame kind of thing that can be sold off as a material. They're also deconstructing mattresses and recycling the composite parts of that. So we're looking at that sort of how you can uh, treat everything as value, as having value as a material so that there is some life for it instead of being landfilled.
1: That's so interesting. And you touched on something that I've become more and more curious about over the years is the we all have an individual responsibility um, for the way that our circular economy works, but what is the role of businesses, restaurants, how do they factor into that? Yeah, so there's it's an
2: interesting thing. There's legislation, uh, and again, there's more of it in Europe, but there is a degree of it happening in the U.S. now, particularly on the West Coast and some New England states, that's called extended producer responsibility. And so it's this trend to hold produ- manufacturers, producers of materials or products accountable for their products being more environmentally friendly. So, you know, it, it, even you can even look at like Coca-Cola or Pepsi, they're trying to have, you know, containers that are made from recycled plastic. I think Train, the company that makes AC units and a variety yeah. of products, they are trying to do more refurbished units. So they have a whole subline of products that are refurbished and they, you know, they'll reconstitute the parts in it. So they sell extended maintenance agreements instead of having something that has a functional obsolescence in it. So you're trying to have those materials or those products last longer.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So Leanne, I feel like, Two, this might be an assumption, an incorrect assumption, but I felt like from my own understanding that the restaurant and kind of food industry has always kind of been thinking about this in a way that's different than maybe an average individual like myself in my own home.
3: Well, I think there are lots of factors in that as well, because it's an environmental issue, of course. Um, It's a social issue. It's also an economic issue. And so as restaurants are making plans just to be sustainable in their own economy, it's a great way for them to make an impact on the society around them but also make sure that they stay around. So yeah, it's it's been a conversation that that's been happening in restaurants for a long time.
0: Is this is again probably an assumption that I don't know if it is correct or incorrect, but like when I see like a massive menu with like pages and pages and pages or versus like A very succinct menu, for example, is that kind of one realistic way that people are thinking more about waste and not having more excess than they need or are going to use or things like that?
3: Definitely. I mean, so many ingredients are perishable. And when you're thinking through your menu, um, a key to that would be thinking, how many times can I use this ingredient without replaying this menu item? You know, use it in a way that is um, unique to uh, whatever the menu item is, but also can be found in another menu item so that you can drive down your inventory in that way. And it's much more manageable than Yes, pages of pages of menus, when uh, which inc- include pages and pages of ingredients.
0: Yeah. Okay. So interesting to me the way that all this kind of works.
1: Yeah. So in in addition to being uh, envir- more environmentally sustainable, I assume that's also more economically sustainable. Sure. It's a it's a great business practice. Um, if you can't
3: maintain your inventory, if you're losing things um, into the into the trash can instead of being able to use those, feed your consumers, yeah. serve it donate it, whatever that that may look like for you, um, then that is that's waste. It's it's wasted money and it's it's wasted opportunity. So how can we save the food? (laughs) That's a great and big question. (laughs) Yes,
0: No pressure, Leanne. (laughs) Right. I know.
3: Let me solve all the world's problems at one time. Um, So there are lots of things that we can do at home. Um, We like to invite people to take on one small act that you can um, do personally, and one act that you can do communally, um, and it could be something like making a list before you go to the grocery store and sticking to that list. Or
0: Ooh, that's a tough. One. Uh, it is a
3: tough one. It's a tough one for mm-hmm. everyone, especially if you have multiple people in your family mm-hmm. that like to go to the grocery store with you. So true. Um, people get off track. I'm not naming any names <laughs> or ages. For ages, exactly. <laughs> So there's that, or there's shopping your own pantry and your own refrigerator before you go. I, I think we're all guilty of letting something sort of get tucked behind something else. Yes. And then you buy that ketchup again, and you get home and you realize you have three of them. Um, so making sure that you're using the things that you already have before you purchase more. Um, and and use those highly perishable things up first. And make sure that you're working those into the, to the menu items you're planning for the first of your week instead of waiting till Saturday. Um, and using your freezer as as a, a pause button, we like to say. Um, and then in the community, it could be something like if you're purchasing lunch for your office, um, go to a PGF restaurant, you know.
0: Yeah. Those Project Green Project Green
3: Fork. Exactly. Those restaurants are using sustainability in their day-to-day operations. So when you're supporting them, you're supporting the
1: environment, you're supporting society as well. So could you expand a little bit about what it takes to become a Project Green Fork certified restaurant? Sure. And we're we're actually working through what
3: that looks like a little bit on our end. There are six steps of certification, which would include, um, you know, using environment, environmentally friendly containers, um, composting, recycling, um, using environmentally friendly cleaning products. So all of those things are um, part of an evaluation process is maybe a little bit of a, a it sounds more stringent r- yeah. stringent, stringent <laughs> right. than what yeah. I mean for it too. But, um, but if you're doing those things, then we can come in and, um, take a look at your practices and then say, yes, you, you are part of a, a certification and, um, here's your window cleaning, and here's your support. And, uh, we're also looking at what a membership model looks like mm-hmm, right. um, for restaurants that are interested in engaging in the space, but maybe aren't ready to take on all six of those steps um, and how we can come in and help as well. And We're offer offering um, if we can help with waste assessments, help you see maybe where we can streamline some of the um, what's happening from our, our your uh, portions. Maybe a little too large, you're seeing a lot of those go into the into the trash can. or um, do you have some excess scraps on your on your vegetables that maybe we need to look at knife skills? Um, so we can help sort of pinpoint where things are. Happening if they want us to, you know, we're not the police, but we want to be. (laughs) But almost like an audit, yeah, Yeah. like a friendly audit, friendly audit for (laughs) sure, assessment,
0: assessment, Assessment. less threatening, yeah, (laughs) yes, rather than like the IRS coming (laughs) for you, right? (laughs) Yeah, we
3: we just want to be a benefit to these restaurants. They're already doing such good work, and it's been, um, you know, several a little bit tough years for the restaurant industry, absolutely. And so, if we can
2: step in and help, and also support the measures that they're doing, great. Yeah, and that. That The the Project Green Fork work is actually expanded to include our work around reducing food waste. And so uh, the Project Green Fork team has been working with other, um, not just restaurants, but like working now with the FedEx Forum or Memphis Shelby County Schools, uh, Renaissance Convention Center, looking at how we can help them with food donation. When they have events, there's Mm -hmm. surplus food and we don't want to lose that food. It's high quality, high nutritious food. Uh, And we have, I think the numbers are like one in four people are food insecure in Shelby County. And we have about 5,000 tons of rescuable food every year in Memphis and Shelby County. And so part of our team's work is to figure out how do we rescue that food, work with people who rescue it, and build the connections between the FedEx Forum and a food, you know, someone who can use that food memphis shelby county schools and someone who can use that food so uh, that is a lot of the work of their of uh, leanne and Allie on Allie manning i think you guys have had on the team on the show before and heidi rubke they're our project Greenfort team and that's a lot of the work they're doing is making sure that we capture that surplus high quality high nutritious food and get it to feeding programs that can use it and ensure our most vulnerable people actually have high quality nutritious food to eat
0: that's all like i love all of the connections that are being made there. That was actually one of my next questions, Leanne and or Janet, but about the donations and how that works. So like like you mentioned at an event where there's like maybe plated food or things like that. I'm curious right now what the next steps would be for even like an organization for like New Memphis, for sure. example, when we have some of our Celebrate With Right luncheons and mm-hmm. other things like that, we're always looking to, we were very inspired by your TED talk, and we're always oh, looking thanks. to like make sure that we are also being the best, you know, stewards of what we have. And so, I'm curious how that works for like almost extremely very perishable food stuff that's already made mm-hmm. and like
2: prepared food. Yes, yeah, yeah. prepared food. Leanne, how does that work? Uh, Leanne, take that one. guess okay. so that's definitely your space. Sure. So
3: um, we're really we're the connectors. Okay. So we can look at what you have, sort of quantities, types of food, and it's really important. To connect the donor with the right agency, um, you know, some people are set up for more grab and go, and some people are able to break down pans of food into uh, meals that their uh, that their consumers can come in and and pick up. So that's part of it, and we're we're really interested in um, what your systems look like. So. Right helping to make it safe because a lot of if you're if you're throwing an event you may not have full understanding of what the safe food donation practices would be right. your caterer or whoever is bringing it on board definitely would understand food safety um, but how do we make it easy for you to know where to store this while it's waiting for a, an agency to come pick it up um, so we might come in and and talk through what your event looks like what you have coming in how many people um, and then figure out someone near to you uh, a last mile organization who would be someone who's working with uh, people who are sp- experiencing food insecurity directly um, and connecting the dots. So we're we're more of a connector or a relationship piece and a systems
2: piece yeah. and kind All of right. training I would say too to make sure you guys understand the healthy food donation. The one thing that's to to make note of is anything that's been served like that's been put out is not eligible for donation. That's a good note. Yeah. yeah. So this has to be like if you're doing box lunches, if the surplus box lunches, those could be rescued and and then given to someone else. Anything that's hasn't been put out that's kind of held in the back, that's eligible for food donation. So it just has to be temperature controlled and then connect. So this is all of the work that the team would do,
1: which is to,
2: you know, bring everybody up to speed on how you do that, how you do it safely, and then connect you with a partner. That's kind of like, again, what they would be doing right now with Renaissance Convention Center. They did it with Shelby Farms Park. They've now started food donation. Um, So it's really... Training, letting you know exactly what you can do, and then connecting you with a partner. And then, we, you know, there's a way to. we're trying to make sure that we're tracking and measuring so that we know there's 5,000 tons. We're trying to chip away at that, and we need to all, like, collectively figure out how we're measuring that. And that's part of something that we're working on. And I would encourage people to follow Project Green Fork on social media. And also, 901 Save the Food is sort of our tagline yeah. and that everybody can get behind is 901 Save the Food. Uh, Leanne did some great. She's a chef by training, so she did some great short videos on that are funny and 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 great about how you reduce food waste at home, like using stale bread as you know you made a salad. I, I made think. Pencillas. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. so, I was about to
0: say something that's not dressing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Turkey and dressing. She, right.
2: So she did great. She did some great things, and we're always doing tips and recipes and how you can reduce food waste at home because it is the largest portion of food waste occurs at home. See, I would have thought that that was flip flopped also, which is so
0: interesting to have this conversation. I'm already learning so much. And like, it's already so much less daunting, too, to yeah. know that we have like a guide to be helpful so mm-hmm. that I don't have to think about like, what's the time limit? I'm sure we already passed it. Let's just toss all this food right. and like not even attempt is you, i feel like the, the yeah. paralysis yes. analysis paralysis exactly <laughs> as it feels
2: overwhelming and the other thing is to connect with for for what you can't donate you can connect with atlas organics and they can pick it up for composting so Ooh. you know you can you have a kind of a two-pronged approach that you can try to right size as mm-hmm. much as you can um your order versus but that's hard you never know how many people are going to show up so you're always going to have that issue and you don't want to run out of food but thinking about food donation and then thinking about composting what's not eligible then you you know then you're you're doing a really good job then of diverting as much as you can from the landfill
3: and and when you're aware of what you know Janet was talking about if it goes in front of a consumer then it's not eligible for donation anymore when you become aware of that sort of thing then you start thinking on the back of house side well how can I how can I work through that so you know instead of topping off that pan of of rice and sending it out when maybe it was okay to ride as it was hold that in the back so that that's eligible for donation
0: mm-hmm. I think also too even, I've seen at our own events. I mean, I know it's it helps us from a programmatic standpoint of having everything already at the tables. Right. But sending it out maybe a little later so that everybody who's physically there gets one as opposed to a all the empty seats or something. Right. Or something. Mm-hmm. The so, salad
3: that sits waiting for the person to sit down forever. That never does. <laughs> yeah.
0: So it's just, again, like knowledge, like you said mm-hmm. earlier, Rebecca, like knowledge is power. And even just helping break down some of these things that feel so overwhelming is already very helpful.
1: Yeah. Definitely. And uh, in addition to education and knowledge sharing, you do some hands-on work with the community, lots of volunteer opportunities. Mm-hmm. How can people get involved to start creating a cleaner community? Yeah. So um, if you go to our website at cleanmembers.org, you can
2: you can sort of sign up to be on, get our newsletter. You can also sign up to be part, sort of just engaged in a particular area of town. And we try to connect you with other people that are engaged in that area of town. And JP on our team does our community relationship work. So he has uh, developed a great toolkit for neighborhoods that are interested or individuals that want to as simple as organizing their own cleanup project or pushing out information about recycling and how you can, re- you know, what's really recyclable at curbside. And, you know, we're just all kinds of things that make it really easy for individuals to do the simplest things in their community that really make a big impact. And so there's a lot of waste reduction tips that he can give you. you know we're really pushing eliminating single use plastics. and so just swapping things out like using reusable straws, using a, a you know your own coffee mug and, you, and that's things you can actually do in your office setting too. It's just like what are you doing in your office setting to encourage using a re- refillable cup. We're, we're actually doing a great project. Now we received a, a grant from EPA to install uh, water refill stations in parks. There's some research that shows that you can reduce single-use plastic water bottle pollution uh, by about 35 to 40% by having water refill stations and encouraging people to have refillable water bottles. And so those are going to be installed over the summer at 15 parks. And we're doing a, you know, a collaboration around um, where our drinking water is amazing. So, you know, the, the units will be wrapped with some design around the aquifer and encouraging people like it's all in your hands um, to, to eliminate that kind of plastic pollution. That's really devastating uh, to our, our water systems. And is actually, I, I was on a show recently and used the word bioaccumulation and I got a oh my God, okay, break that down. What does that yeah. mean? What does that mean? <laughs> what, is it essentially, there's so much plastic entering our water systems that all the wildlife is ingesting it and then it goes up through that life cycle or up through that cycle to the fish that we eat. So it may seem like litter is out of sight, out of mind, but it is in fact not. It does wash down the storm drains, end up in the ocean, creating, uh, you know, really wreaking havoc on the ecosystem there. And we're not detached
1: from that. We're really not detached from that, so. It's important to understand that. Very important. And and you touched on something that makes Memphis really special, and it's our aquifer. Absolutely. Can you talk a little about about why our water is so special here? Sure. And I would encourage people to follow Protect Our
2: Aquifer. They're a great organization that's doing a lot of work here in Memphis that's important about the aquifer. Uh, but, you know, simply put, it is an amazing Enormous aquifer that covers, I think, a three-state area. But Sarah, if you get Sarah on, she could talk about this in yes, more detail. I think but she
0: has been because she it, gave a 2021 TED Talk about yeah. water too. So it's also, so fabulous. So. And
2: so you have this clay and sand layer that filters the water, and so it's just extremely pure and delicious. And I think the lady, like when you turn your tap on and it comes out, it's like two thousand year old water or something. It's really amazing to think about that. So we don't have a need. There bottled water has its place. Any you know, you have sometimes you have storms and you have things where it requires. But in Memphis, we have great drinking water. So there's really no reason to go and purchase water on the daily for things. And so I think us just encouraging people or having people be aware that our local water is really fabulous. And that the more we can just drink it straight from the tap, refill our water bottles and have access to that is really important.
1: It's extremely important. And that's such an easy switch when mm-hmm. you have the quality of water that we do. Um, you mentioned having uh, single use water bottles. And mm-hmm. I know the, the phrase that we've all heard since we were kids, reduce, reuse, recycle. Mm-hmm. Is it true that that is the order of importance of those actions? Yeah.
2: Source reduction is always the top thing, whether it's food Whether it's materials, source reduction is the most effective. Recycling is tough. We need to do it. But recycling materials, it's a commodity. And so right now you see things like aluminum, cardboard, milk jugs, the plastic milk jugs. All of those have a very high value. It's hard. Like glass. It's almost more expensive to recycle it than to just, you know what I mean? And so the more you can absolutely reduce or avoid a product and use something that's reusable, that, you know, is, you know, you know where it's happening there. It's also why food waste is so important because it's a very local solution. We know if we have food donation and if we compost, it's actually being composted here. So you can really make a big impact. And I think food waste is about 35 percent of municipal solid waste. So even if you just focused on reducing food and composting and maybe eliminate a single use material like a straw or water bottle, that that kind of thing, you've made a significant impact on waste reduction.
0: Um, I was actually a at- Memphis Botanic Garden recently, and I utilized one of the refillable water bottle things. It was very helpful for our extended stay on a beautiful Saturday. Wonderful, so, yeah. Yeah. right? And it also gives you that like little hit of endorphins or whatever when you see the number like clicking. Yes. Up. Flips, yeah, yeah, so yep. it like makes me so happy. And <laughs> yeah. So it, like, <laughs> yeah. For anyone <laughs> who hasn't
1: used one, uh, they have a calculator on them to let you know how many water bottles you're saving by using your yes. own water bottle, and it is really encouraging. And,
0: yeah, it makes you just smile. And I'm like, ooh, let's see how many, how many like for my big Stanley Cup. I'm, like how many
2: years is it going to change Exactly, off? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, what's interesting, we'll, we'll launch a campaign this fall uh, regarding those water fountains, and we're going to give away some water uh, water bottles, refillable water bottles, but we'll also Ooh. have a way, a sticker, that you can, it's like a QR code, and you can scan it every time you fill your water bottle, and it, you have your own profile in this thing, and it'll show you how many water bottles you're avoiding, like greenhouse gas emissions, all this kind of gives you your own little score. So it's a way for us to gamify that and have you connected to like you're making a local change, but it has a global impact. And so that's, that's going to be fun. We're excited to get that launched.
1: Change through challenge. That's yeah. so fun. Mm-hmm. That That'll
2: also fun.
0: makes me really excited if I can do that with my own tap water in my own home yes. and just scam my little thing whenever Every I refill my Stanley instead yeah. of just at like at a park. Yes, absolutely. So um, does that help y'all also calculate mm-hmm. and kind of chip away, like you said, at some of that large number to yeah. understand your impact a little yeah, bit? Yeah,
2: absolutely. It's just encouraging people to do the right thing in small ways. But it again, those small incremental changes have a large impact. They really do.
0: Um, so you've already hit a lot on the intersection of sustainability and things like economic mobility or social determinants of health and things mm-hmm. like that. But I'm curious about how sustainability intersects with racial disparities and kind of institutional racism that like impacts poverty in our city and things like that. Like we've already mentioned kind of food insecure and right. how donations and making sure that those are in the right hands is really crucial, yeah. but I'm curious about what knowledge y'all have about different pockets of our city and how that's impacted. Yeah.
1: Is, is environmental justice a piece of social justice? Sure. I think,
2: you know, you, you've you seen work, of course, with the Bahalia Pipeline and uh, their communities that have been marginalized have had environmental issues in their areas. Um, we, we've had, fortunately, um, residents sort of come together and push back on those which were successfully with the bahalia pipeline and if you remember a few years ago before the pandemic there is a um, a landfill construction demolition landfill that was trying to expand in frazier and the residents kind sort of came together and pushed back on that and we'd love to see that sort of activism and i think part of our work is to ensure that people across memphis and shelby county have the knowledge and awareness of environmental issues and what how they impact their community so that they have they are empowered to and have agency to push back when when is needed um you know waste we we focus primarily on waste reduction and whether that is in you know litter is just leakage from a broken solid waste system so a lot of our communities have issues with illegal dumping those tend to happen in under-resourced communities someone drives off and dumps. you know we just had a cleanup project with fedex and wolf river conservancy in North Memphis, where there we picked up a thousand tires—literally a thousand tires—that someone had dumped over there. And so, it's those sort of environmental issues that can happen in under-resourced communities that are challenging. They're health-related. You know, those retain water and and mosquitoes—all those bad, you know, things that can happen there. And so, um, environmental issues definitely have that intersection with social. Health, all of those in under-resourced communities, and I think just ensuring that we are connecting with those communities, providing resources and education, and that they have a voice uh, and a and a platform and a way to to advocate for themselves and push back on some of those things is really important.
0: So switching gears a little bit, um, we were really curious uh, from either Julian or you, Janet. Um, where Memphis kind of sits in comparison to some other cities that are kind of, you mentioned that Europe is leading the charge and it's kind of this circular economy, Mm -hmm. but here in the States, I'm curious where Memphis is kind of sitting in that lineup.
2: Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll say one or two things. And then I think Leanne can talk about some work we're doing. We're actually doing part of a regional cohort on the food waste piece. And I'll let Leanne talk about that in terms of just like the overall waste issue um, we're lagging behind. That's just an, an honest answer. I think you see on the West Coast, as I mentioned, West Coast and North and in and, and the New England states are just a little more advanced when it comes to, you know, putting forth uh, producer, the expanded producer responsibility legislation, recycling, banning materials. You know, I think in California they have a food waste ban. They eliminate plastic bags or a lot of things that they're doing there that is much harder for us here in the South to do. So I think the South as a region is is kind of behind on those things. But I do think there is a lot of local energy around circular economy. Memphis is an entrepreneurial sort of city. And so I think coming at it from an angle that is more directed towards the economic opportunity can sometimes get more energy than looking at it from an environmental. And so I think we have to come at it from all, whether it's. Economic, social, or environmental. So, I think uh, we are recycling at a lower percentage. We do have a con- higher contamination rate. So, again, that education, that outreach, engagement is critically important uh, if we're going to move forward. You have cities like Nashville, Charlotte, and Phoenix that have all established zero waste goals as a city, and they're making their charge forward by participating in circular economy and pushing forward in that way. We advocated um, successfully advocated for this c- advocated for the city and county to fund a waste characterization study which really just analyzes your waste and tells you what you could do with it Um, and so um, they both the city and the county have put funding in their budgets for that for the next uh, FY24 budget Um, so hopefully that will move forward they'll have a study and a plan and that would be a blueprint for us moving forward to really advance uh, as a city and, and county all city and county together on waste issues that'll be very important for us but in terms of what out do you want to talk about the cohort i think that's important too
3: sure so um you know wasted food is certainly not specific to memphis and um the the nice thing about these cities around us nashville orlando um we can work in collaboration together and we can learn from each other each other's successes each other's challenges Um, and so several of us do work with um, the natural resources defense council which is um, a national organization and They support us through toolkits, best practices, um, and and we can share ideas and information together. And and so, while everyone's not on the same um, at the working at the same rate, or maybe there's a city that's a little bit further ahead of us, there's a city that maybe is a little bit behind where we are. um, We can all work together to to move the work forward.
2: And I think one thing we did find out by collaborating and kind of having meetings with um, other cities that Natural Resource Defense, is, Defense Council is working with, uh, we we had a, a conversation with one city and we found out that we were actually advanced, farther advanced in our, on our food waste work with schools. Yeah, And yeah, yeah, (laughs) it is a big win. And I think what, you know, with two things and and like Leanne came from uh, Memphis Shelby County Schools and Nutrition Services. And then our education team is working so closely with schools. So they have worked uh, teaching the students about the environmental, social and economic issues of food waste. They've done food waste audits with the kids where they're literally weighing and measuring what's not eaten. They took a survey to see why you weren't eating it. And they make recommendations back to the district. Um, And so that has really um, that work. I think we're just more advanced than other cities to to take it to that level. It's resulted in menu changes. um, And now, you know, we're working with the district on looking at broader waste reduction issues, doing an assessment there, looking at how we can connect their surplus food to someone that where they can do food donation as well so we're i'm super proud of that work because i think it's you know that's a big system <laughs> it's a very big system absolutely yeah. and they're very interested and concerned about being as efficient as possible and that's really what this is about waste is a sign of inefficiency and so we always talk about the food waste piece as being you know all communities need access to a grocery store and produce and, you know, farmer's markets. This is not a substitute for that. This is really about better management of resources.
0: You mentioned um, at the beginning that you kind of grew up in a rural or um, Mm -hmm. community, but it was a way of life for you. Can you kind of expound upon that a little bit. I'm yeah. super intrigued by that.
2: Well, I I'm the youngest of five and so my mom was 40 when I was born and so she was for she was part of a generation, you know, she was a child during the depression and I think kids coming out of that era Uh, Understood conservation because they had to. I'm not, I don't know that that was, that she considered herself an environmentalist. I don't know that that would be the case. What she considered herself is using resources. And so that's just where the, you know, we were turn the lights off, don't waste water, everything was about conservation from an economic standpoint. And I think that just was the foundation of my existence growing up. And that never, you know, that's just woven into the ethos of my thinking.
0: Do you, In your opinion, do you think it's easier or harder or just case by case basis to kind of practice sustainability if like you live on a farm in a more rural community or in like big cities or does it just look different?
2: I think it looks different. And I think one of the things that's so that's changed over the last, I don't know how many years, but 20, 30 years is that we've had an explosion of you know, single use materials. When I was a kid, you had a few fast food places. You have a million things now. Everything's disposable. We've made everything super easy. And so I think there's like a, there's been a 350% increase in materials, you know, over the past 10, 15 years. So it's a different, it's just a different world. It's a different world. And so we're, we've gotten so used to having something that is a grab and go single use kind of material and so and if you've grown up in that environment you're not even thinking about what you should be doing with it or not using it it's all based on convenience if you i think about it, some of the things that you love they're probably packaged terribly right and you've got yeah. a package that holds 10 packages of this thing of cheese <laughs> <So true. laughs> or whatever right and so it's just a very different it's a very different world and and I know I think I was listening to um A meeting that City Council was having, and I think the Director of Public of not Public, but Solid Waste was talking about. They had, they've had it a three hundred and fifty percent increase in outside the cart waste. You know, you have your cart at the curb, but then you put things outside of that that are bulky waste. They have like a three hundred percent increase in that in the last three years. It's just we have are producing a ton of waste as individuals. I don't know if it's the Amazon effect, we're ordering stuff or whatever it is, but we're just consumers. And so uh, all of that material, that packaging is
1: part of, sort of part of our problem. I think it touches on a couple of different angles there because you talked about your mom growing up in the depression. And I know that uh, my grandmother was similar. And so it came from a place of scarcity right. um, and waste comes from a place of privilege yes. in, in a lot of instances, not always, but is, is that something that we're seeing that's different Is you know, it's also, I think in some ways we've got a little bit of a win that it seems that sustainability is becoming an aesthetic choice and people are into it because right. it looks good.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is very in vogue.
1: Can you talk a little bit about that? The difference of um, a scarcity mentality versus a, a, abundance abundance abundance, that's the word Uh, yeah and i think you see you know
2: brands want to align with more sustainable practices and that kind of thing and i i think there's some truth to that it it definitely was more of a scarcity thing i feel like there was you know you needed to conserve resources because you may not have them and so um I, i think that's why we work so hard on the education side and just to really make it part of our you know with the kids that we're working with and we do a community classroom as well So just at the adult level, why does this matter? It has to be, you know, this is what's happening in our community, how it directly impacts our community, how it's impacting our planet. And and the conversations we have to have have to meet the community and where they are. Um, If you are struggling to make it through the day financially or where your food's coming from, it is very hard for you to worry about plastic in the ocean.
1: And (laughs) so, so, uh,
2: but what we did find in some communities is that you know if there if the litter flows down and debris flows down in the storm drain and clogs the storm drain it creates flooding in the community and that was a direct concern for people and so some of that is us trying to figure out what is the what is going to resonate and what really matters to this community and that's the focus that we need to take and so finding that sort of hyper local concern is, is much more important than trying to impose a, you know, global environmental situation on someone who honestly doesn't have this. That's a hierarchy of need. You know, they don't have the time or the energy or the privilege to consider that. And so we've got to meet people where they are.
0: I feel like, so just for, even for me personally, like this conversation, I, I, it did feel like very overwhelming to think about, but also it felt very removed to mm-hmm. like that same point of like plastic in the ocean seems like an oceanic problem, right? not a me problem. But when you talk about it in the way that it like goes up mm-hmm. and the way that it's in the food I'm eating and the way that it's, you know, in the storm drains and it's all around and finding those That does make it click a little bit more, even for me. And I sit in an immensely privileged chair um, that I'm very aware of. And so even for me, that hierarchy of need is finding those little connections that are firing those cylinders where I'm like, oh, Like that is what that means. That is why this is important. Yeah. The
1: education component of what you do, I think is one of the most powerful elements of your work. Yes. Um, And and understanding the, you know, thinking globally, but acting locally is, is something that really helped contextualize some of the challenges that our immediate community faces, understanding where it sits in kind of the global environment, but understanding what my neighbors need. What do your neighbors need? Yeah. And I think the, the
2: really interesting part for the education team is to see that, The students really when you really connect them with something that's happening in their school or in their community, then they really see it as a personal issue. And they also see their own agency to make change. And that's empowering for them. And the one thing we always want to do with our students is not to overwhelm them with environmental issues, but to just create an awareness and a way that they see themselves in that system and that they have power to change. It And have influence on it and and really expose them to long term to maybe careers thinking about how, you know, they and I we talk about this in the TED talk. There's they're the next voters. They're the next elected officials. They're the next leaders leaders and innovators. And we need them to have sort of an environmental IQ so that they can take that with them and that can help guide their thought processes and actions in the future.
1: I love that. What has
0: the response been? I'm curious, Leanne, with you um, in your previous role working in the school system and then also, Janet, like knowing how important the education piece is, I'm curious what the impact has been on kids. Like, are they excited to learn about this kind of stuff? Does it feel too overwhelming? Does it feel like a bummer if they have to put their apple on the share table? I don't know. <laughs> like, what, what what's the response? Only if it's you fun. don't want it. <laughs>
3: yeah. It's it's funny that you say that because they get so excited when we're doing these these food audits. Um First of all, they're a little bit surprised at the amount of of food that that is going into the bins. Um, But we also designate this is an apple or this is a packaged cracker and it could be shared on a share table. And so coming out of those those food audits, students have taken it upon themselves to get those share tables started to work with their cafeteria and their administration and making those those things happen in their own in their own buildings. And they get so excited about it. It's really fun to watch
2: so cute yeah and they they are I would say they are very excited to learn uh, as I I was we were talking a little bit before we got started that they um, have recently been looking at ecosystems and biomes like where, uh, animals live and healthy ecosystems, and in urban areas, those are disrupted sometimes. So they've been building bug houses with twigs and all these different things, and they have had a blast with that. They built solar cars and raced them, and they built wind walkers. We were looking at alternative energy, so they they love it, and they are. I mean, we've seen their attendance be better. They are engaged in learning and excited about learning, and so I, I think it's it's all positive. I think environmental education is just. Really critically important for them uh, to influence, you know, their decisions moving forward. But again, just their student outcomes, their civic engagement, and a lot of even uh, improving self-esteem.
3: I, I got to be at a school on solar car day, which was super fun. Uh, and one of the kids came up to um, our our team member, Emma, and his car had not won the race. And he said oh, Ms. Simmons, I I think if I put this piece on differently, it might have worked differently. So, you know, to see that kind of engineering Engineering. happening, Mm -hmm. it's it's so multifaceted and
1: really, really neat. Wow. That's opening so many doors uh, and opportunities. And I'm curious for each of you, you know, what are you most hopeful about in the future of this next generation in our city? It's a big question. It's, it's <laughs> it a big question. But, you know, I I feel like the students
2: really are receiving the education that we're putting out. They're really receiving it and embracing it. Um, it's exciting for us. Uh, I, I think our ed team is doing such a great job and, and our whole team, whether it's our team working on, you know, the, whether we're working with students or whether we're working with the restaurant industry and the event spaces, they're all Equally as excited to learn about and want to be part of a, you know, better management of resources, whether it's the forum or the school system or whatever, everyone is really interested in doing better and improving our systems. And so I'm I'm really hopeful that we're, you know, we establish kind of this zero waste goal and Memphis can get behind things when we really set a positive goal. And so um, I'm hopeful and, and looking forward to just growing this generation of young people that are grounded in environmental stewardship and where they can help lead the city moving forward as they come of age. I think that's gonna be far too often we're having to educate adults. And I think our focus on having students come of age with a foundational knowledge and connection to stewardship is really what I'm hopeful for and looking forward to in the future.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. And they are having those conversations. You know, they hear us talk. They hear, um, they they're very aware of what's happening around them. And so it when I first started uh on with Clean Memphis, um, I was I was talking about what I would be doing with my daughter and she's school aged and she said, Mommy, I'm so proud of you. You're doing you're doing something really important. And I thought, Well, it's important to you and that it is meaningful to me. Yeah. Um, So, so seeing that they are taking on the information and, and, and the challenge of watching what they're doing in their own, in their own lives with how I pack her lunch or, you know, the, the bags of cheese in the bags of cheese. And she's aware of that and will call me out. Oh yes. That's what I was
0: wondering. I was like, my four-year-old is quick. Absolutely. With a quickness to tell me (laughs) when something is not correct. Yeah. So I, I
1: feel really hopeful for what the future looks like. Yeah.
0: That's really fun.
1: That's beautiful. In your work, do you find that leaders in the community are approaching uh, sustainability as curious learners or are they hesitant? And how could we get them to be curious learners if that's not the case? I think,
2: you know, certainly with our corporate partners, I think they are approaching it as curious learners for sure. We, you know, we're working with several of our corporate partners that help fund our environmental education work and looking at how can they. They're all wanting to, OK, we're going to when we are catering, we're going to use a Project Green Fork caterer uh, we're going to how can you guys help us with a food donation if we have so I think they're very interested and in, they are becoming aware we've done a lot of lunch and learn um, sort of things with our corporate partners or anyone that will let us come in and
0: educate them. <laughs> and educate, <laughs>
2: yes and I think one, it's really about awareness once they become particularly on the food waste side I think we were new to this too at one point. And when I learned that forty percent of the food that's grown in the US every year is wasted, I was like, what? what? How, how is this happening? It's like $230 billion a year is wasted on growing and transporting food. So once you become aware of that and you realize where you're connected to that, I think people are genuinely interested in that that just seems wrong to most people. And so people are generally interest, genuinely interested in how they can engage.
3: Yeah, we can all agree on that. It's not a partisan issue. It's <laughs> right, not so true. You
0: don't want
2: to see food going to waste, period. Yeah. For whether you, it's, it's,
0: Yeah, whether you're motivated by whatever it is. Right. <laughs> yes,
2: exactly. Whether it's the economic loss, the social or environmental. And so it's important that we talk about it on, on those three spheres so that whatever your entry point is, y- you get it.
0: So. Now is the time to do something that we think is really fun. Um, so it's what we call a lightning round. Okay. Immediate nerves. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say no it's just like what's my like... favorite song? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. So this we thought it would be fun to kind of switch things up with our lightning round. It is often those types of questions, okay. Janet. Um, but this time it is going to be a where does it go? So oh, how do you, uh, Where do you put it okay. for our average listener mm-hmm. okay. Is, Yeah.
2: Okay. So
0: a banana peel.
2: Ooh, compost.
0: So, uh, sidebar. After this, we're gonna keep going, and then I have another question about that about composting
1: eggshells, compost Compost.
0: milk jug versus a
2: milk carton. Like, which is better? So, or or like where
0: where you put if you have the one that's like a carton, Mm -hmm. like the uh, like paper tetra tetra pack, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, versus the plastic milk gallon. Yeah, gallon jug goes in
2: the recycling for sure. Uh, I think the carton can be recycled as long as it doesn't have a liner on the inside, like a plastic lining. Pizza box.
3: Does it have pizza grease on it? Yes. You can usually compost those. Really? Mm -hmm. Maybe not in your backyard. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to be aware of what you're putting in your backyard composting for sure. But if you have a composting service, then they'll have a list of things that they take. And generally, that is where you can put... Mm -hmm.
2: Soiled pizza boxes. Because
0: I was about to and, say, what pizza box doesn't have grease on
3: it? I know.
2: Well, sometimes, a liner? sometimes they put that little oh, round okay, thing. Okay, okay. If you mm-hmm. toss that, and then if the other, the rest of the pizza box does not have a grease stain on it, you can actually recycle that. Okay. That dispelled a myth for me. I that thought did. you you had to toss the greased box.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, you do
2: have to toss the greased box, but if if again if you if it's on that little white circular mm-hmm. thing and that's what's greased and you take that out and throw that away, if the rest of the box is not doesn't have can grease can on it, sign. you can say, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's or you the take grease it. that yeah compost yeah. The, mm-hmm. it's it's compost. One. the grease Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very cool.
0: So, curious about composting we did not this is not a lightning round question by the way sorry so sidebar (laughs) nerves can ease Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so about composting i know what it is i don't really know how to do it myself so what well, like composting for idiots 101 right like, <laughs> yeah
1: I we're gonna have you re-say that just right? composting 101 <laughs> <laughs>
2: and the other term for it is organics recycling but no one really oh pretend, you know that's that's rebrand not yeah it's a rebrand so composting and it's really just rebrand. it's kind of things that you are food scraps or things that are not suitable for consumption so eggshells banana peels coffee grounds you're cilantro you didn't get to, food scraps, any of that. So there's a couple of ways. You can do a DIY, which is more complicated. You mm-hmm. need to know what you're doing. You can download information about that. There's sort of these containers you can buy that you turn things over. That, and all there that. was one of those yeah. in my backyard when I moved in. Yes. And that overwhelmed me. Right. I personally, <laughs> and at our office, have a subscription with Atlas Organics. You may have been familiar with uh, Compost Fairy. They were a nonprofit that started yeah. some. Cr- co- yes. And they were taken over by uh, Atlas Organics. Okay. And so that's a subscription service. They bring you a bucket or two to your home and you just fill it and then they come and pick it up off your porch and bring you a fresh one every week or every two weeks, whatever your sort of system is. Okay. So that is the easy, you know, they can, you can put bones, you can put meat, you can put everything in there essentially. And uh-huh. so you could divert most any of your mm-hmm. food waste uh, into composting. And just think of that. You have your, you know, you have your landfill, you have your recycling, you have your composting. if you could push most to composting or recycling and really minimize what's going in that landfill bin that would be amazing but that's essentially what's happening with composting is they take the food waste it goes to a facility that uh, atlas manages that's owned by the city and they combine that food waste with your leaf and you know anytime you're raking leaves and have to be, they put all of that together and it makes this rich compost and then you get if you're a member of that you get some they give you a bag of compost back for you to mm-hmm. use in your garden
0: that's what i was curious about yeah. yeah, I was like mm-hmm. wait
2: and so it, they sell that compost to local agricultural community because that you know we've had through uh, you know farming through the time our so we've had loss of soil and the soil is not as fertile as it used to be so the compost is an amendment back to that soil that makes it more fertile so you don't have to fertilize it as much it you don't have to water it as much so there's all these wonderful benefits and it is that true circularity you're from the agricultural community you're growing food That moves through the system, it's eaten, it's shared, it's enjoyed, and then the scraps go back to compost and back to that system. So that's kind of the circularity. That's the easiest circular piece that you can think about is food.
0: Okay. Wow, I feel like that seems more attainable now.
2: So Mm -hmm. yes, composting 101. Composting
0: 101. (laughs)
3: There's lots of great
2: information on the internet. Yeah, and other people that are experts in that, and we can give you resources on that. But oh, wonderful! And our project Green Fork restaurants do that. They, you know, they they all compost too. Their food Mm -hmm. scraps. So, uh, and some of the bigger organizations that we're working with on food donation, their next step that they want to take on is composting. Wow, that's so cool that you can do that at home and at scale.
3: Yes. Definitely. Yeah. And it's a really fun challenge, too. I, I also subscribe to the service and I get my two buckets. Um, and can I only fill one bucket? You know, how long does it take me? And that's a good gauge for me of how well I'm doing at managing my resources in my own kitchen. If I don't have that much going into my compost bucket, then I'm doing a better job of source reduction.
0: Oh, I see what you're coming. Because I would have thought like filling up more is better because then that's less in the landfill. But I see what you're saying. You took it back to the root, you're right. being right. more efficient. Mm-hmm. Back with it up. Mm-hmm. See so your
2: purchases, yeah. the way mm-hmm. that you prepare yeah. your foods, wow. So that maybe the only thing in your bucket are things that are unavoidable, like banana peels, eggshells, mm-hmm. coffee grounds, things you're not going to eat. It's just they're byproducts of what you had to eat. But you're not throwing, you actually made salon, you made salsa and ate it right. and didn't have the cilantro go bad <laughs> and,
0: t- and toss it. And toss it. Okay. Yeah. So first step, fill the buckets, fill the compost buckets. Uh-huh. Next step, Assess. Huh. assess, 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 <laughs> assess what's assess in your there. compost yeah. Yes, and okay. see what you can do better. Always feels... source
2: reduction is always the top thing.
0: Okay, that feels more attainable mm-hmm. than to like completely overhaul right. my practices in my <laughs> <Right>. life. <laughs>
3: Change your life. It's easy.
0: <laughs>
1: well, Janet and Leanne, it has been so wonderful to talk with you and Thank to get you. to know all the ways that we are working toward a cleaner and greener Memphis. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us that's on the horizon for your work? Oh, well, we do
2: have next month, June 15th, we're doing our loving local event. We'd love for people to come out at that event is to support Project Green Fork. So it's our main fundraiser for that work. It's going to be at the ravine, which is a great cool spot uh, in the medical district. We have five P- Project Green Fork chefs yep. that'll be making amazing hors d'oeuvres for you to sample. Uh, We'll have Memphis Made, of course, that's their location, so they'll have their beer. We'll have a a signature cocktail, DJ, a lot of fun games. Uh, Leanne, you have, I know there's one other thing I'm forgetting that's coming out about the games.
3: Oh, yeah, we have uh, Board to Beers is bringing their mobile truck out. So lots of board games and food and fun. Food Food and and fun. Yeah, it's
2: a zero waste event. So one of the things that we do uh, all of our events are zero waste. So that means we control what's coming in. Everything is compostable or recyclable. We have a food donation strategy. And then anything else is composted and recycled. And we've actually created an event guide for other, you know, like yourselves or anybody that does events on how you can make your event zero waste. And so we we do some consulting on that sort of side. So if anyone's interested in that, but please come out to Loving Local. It's a really fun time. Uh, June 15th. You can buy tickets now. Just look forward on projectgreenfork.org or on our, so- our social media for sure.
0: Thank you. Thanks. Yes, thanks Thank for you. having us. It's been great. Bye. I enjoyed that conversation with Janet and Leanne so much, Rebecca. Um, it was jam-packed full of all kinds of tips and tricks that I'm definitely going to take away and start incorporating into my daily life. And I hope that our listeners do as well.
1: It's really inspiring and glad to know that there is room for growth and education. And it's not a perfect system and there's not a perfect response to it. So we all get a little bit of grace as we learn together um, and clean up the city.
0: Absolutely. Um, So we have some exciting news tonight. Tonight, tonight. Tonight, tonight. um, May 16th, we have Celebrate What's Right Culture City USA Happy Hour. We will be over at the FedEx Event Center at Shelby Farms Park from 430 to... Six-ish? Six-ish. Yeah. And we will have an
1: amazing panel of Memphis ambassadors. So excited. We get to raise a glass to some of the city's most exciting and impactful ambassadors. We're going to be uh, hosting the conversation with Kanji Anthony. And our panel includes David Quarles, Tara Stringfellow. Kevin Thomas from Collage Dance Collective, Esso Tolson, and Pat Mitchell Worley from Soulsville Foundation. So if you are able to join us, go ahead and head over to org slash events and grab your tickets for the event, and we will see you at sunset. And a big shout out and thank you to our sponsors for making Celebrate What's Right possible First Horizon and Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee. See you all tonight. Cheers.
0: This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.